morning, can we have the clarification on that quote about spiritual maturity? That it is moving from confident what? To oh, spiritual maturity is moving from confident arrogance to thoughtful uncertainty. And that's not about big picture stuff like Jesus being the Messiah, the Son. I'm not talking about that kind of stuff. That stuff's clear and we believe it or don't believe it. But we can have some of this smaller stuff where you've got to believe what I believe about hell or heaven or the second coming or whatever. And it gets pretty confusing. I like even Jesus when people are asking him stuff and he says, I don't even know the day or the hour. So if he didn't know, how am I going to know? Somebody else? I saw some other hands. Wayne, I've got a question. I'm Brent. Brent. I'm here from Anderson, Indiana as well. Wow, there's a whole club here from Brent Anderson, Indiana. You talked about the... Uh, you guys traveled a long doc- way to get here. We did. Uh, it was what, two minutes? Yeah, three. <laughs> three, okay. The doctrine police. You know, how much do you think maybe the world of, of the doctrine police, the world of academia, and in a sense, has almost squelched the revelation that comes, you know, from the Holy Spirit? Do you see in conversations people saying, I don't feel like if I've gotten so much into steeped in, into the doctrine that I really don't hear from God like I used to because I kind of have my preformed ways of thinking. I, I wouldn't say everybody in academia is the doctrine police. Because I'm talking about a specific personality type or persistent conviction of theology that has this narrow, a lot of them are the neo-Calvinists today. They've got this Calvinistic viewpoint. You don't hold to it the way they prescribe it. Then they turn mean. So that's not, I know great academics who have honest integrity, heartfelt searching, so I wouldn't say that. How much of that, what I notice about people and truth, particularly when truth begins to make inroads into ways that make us uncomfortable, which is what the Pharisees are doing, they're trying to shut it down at the source. And I think there's an awful lot. I mean, there's, there's people out there looking for a book that comes out by a Brian McLaren or a Rob Bell or, a, you know, somebody like that. They're ready to jump on it with a blog tomorrow, and they're going to disagree with it before they've even seen it. And you don't know how many emails I get that talk about, I've never read The Shack, or I've never read So You Don't Want Church Anymore, but they're going to tell me how I'm wrong in the book I worked on or helped work on. And I just go, really? You think you'd at least read it? Because most of the objections to it, I'll go, the book's not even saying what you're saying it's saying. So I'm not even going to argue the other point of view. I don't have it. But I do think this, there's, there's a great struggle right now between is God and Abba? Is the Father loving? Was the cross curative? Or was the cross from an angry, offended deity that needed to sate his anger by the death of the most pure person that's ever lived on the planet? There is a great conflict going on between those two. And yeah, what I find is the people who are learning to live under God as Father and learning to live in that love, they ha- they're not worried about people who disagree with them. But the people who want this, they're going to defend this angry God to the hill. They're always angry at people who disagree with them. And so I think that's a good test to look at and say, you know, if you really trust that God's in charge of truth in the world, and if I'm wrong or if others are wrong, God's big enough to change that, then you don't have the angst to be the convincer in the world. You let the Holy Spirit be the one who convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So. If I'm wrong on a point, I trust the Holy Spirit to change me. I don't mind talking to others about it. Again, open conversation is great, but people who lie and distort to hold people captive because they feel threatened. And here's what I think I know about truth. If you really know the truth, you don't have to be threatened by what's not true because you know truth prevails over error. If you don't know that, then you have to protect something, and that protecting turns you into a different person. One more, and then we'll go on. I'm Lisa from Anderson as well. Um, Is that the connection then with that statement? Spiritual maturity is moving from confident arrogance to uh, to thoughtful uncertainty. 
Is that process then about shutting down the truth? Is that what's taking place that um, I have a need to have confident arrogance as, because of my fear of the truth? It may be because of that fear. I don't know. I think, I think it's just this confident arrogance of I know all that there is to know and I'm right and you're wrong. And I, I sit here today and say I'm teaching you the way I read the scriptures, the way they've made sense to me. I hope 10 years from now I've grown in this and I'm seeing some things differently. I hope this revelational flow is an ongoing thing in my life. When you, when you learn that you've been wrong about some really important things in the past, it makes you hold it more lightly in the present because we're all seeing through a glass darkly and we want God to keep shaping us. But if you think this is the perfect thing that's come, and so now we have this, and I have been schooled so that I have the perfect interpretation of everything in here, then yeah, there's no place to be but a confident arrogance that's going to force your way on other people. Instead of saying, you know, this truth in Jesus is something I'm growing to discover. And like Peter, there's a lot that's really, I, don't, I can't say with certainty that I know what that is. And I think that makes us healthier people and invites us into healthier conversations. Can I ask one more thing? Sure. How do you deal with that day in and day out, folks coming at you with those types? I don't. Okay. To be honest with you, I, I decided 15 years ago that I was going to spend my time with hungry people. I'm going to spend time with people who are hungering to know God the way God's making himself known to me. So if I'm in a room of people and there's people there that hate me, well, if I take a question from them, will I have a bit of a conversation? I will. But over the long haul, I'm, I'm not really talking to them. I don't read the blogs about me. People send me links all the time, and I, I generally don't read them. I don't even have a curiosity about it. I just, Jesus said that when you live the truth, people are going to exclude you, lie about you. And that's, what, that's why I don't give a lot of time to people who, who give great disagreement with me if they're lying about me or have already distorted what I say or believe. And I'll even say to people, I don't believe what you're saying I believe. And they'll say, yes, you do. And I'll say, well, gee, then we're done. How do you have a conversation with somebody when you're saying you're distorting my own words? I know what I believe. So I have found those conversations to be relatively unfruitful. And the fruitful conversations are with people who don't, who, who want to discuss in a more honest, open environment. And people may disagree with you there. That's fine. But they're not so pressured, arrogant, and distorted about it.